0: Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys doing good today? Are you guys doing good today? (laughs) You're looking good. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here for the second week of our 2022 kickoff series, Fresh Wind. And if you're here for the very first time or you're watching online for the very first time, let me catch you up. The experience of the last two years has been a real momentum murderer to the point that I think every single one of us is stuck or stalled out in some important area of our lives and desperate for something to help us move forward from where we are to where we want to be, to the lives God has for us. But the good news is that in Jesus, we don't have to labor to create the momentum we need. We just have to learn to catch it which is a wildly countercultural idea because the message of our society, the message of every religious system and every secular irreligious system around us is effort. It's grabbing an oar and rowing really hard to try to get ourselves to the places we want to go, to try to be good enough, to try to achieve everything we want to achieve by the greatness of our own efforts. But then Christianity comes along and says, no, nah, that isn't it at all? That totally doesn't work. We can't try hard enough to get there. We can't be good enough to get there. We can't earn it all on our own. There's got to be a totally different way forward. And Romans 8, 1 Paul tells us what that different way forward is. He tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that there's no longer any guilty verdict and no longer any shame because once we know Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God actually comes into our lives and propels us forward like a fresh wind blowing us from the places we are to the places God has for us and the lives God says we were made And so that's what we talked about last week, and this week I want to ask the question, how do we actually do that? I want to get a little bit pragmatic with it as we continue to dig into Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to the book of Romans. It's toward the back. If you hit Acts, keep going. If you hit the Corinthians, go back. And as you're opening it up to Romans chapter 8, we're going to kick things off in verse 5. There are a couple things I think it's worthwhile to know. The first one is... This. Romans was written by Paul, a dude who spent his entire life rowing really hard trying desperately to be good enough to, to like follow all of the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament and earn his way to God. And he was better at it than almost anybody who ever lived, but deep down inside of him, he knew he wasn't quite good enough. And then one day he met Jesus and just the, the lights turned on and he realized, hey, maybe I don't have to keep rowing hard. Maybe I need to start raising sails. Maybe it's not about my efforts because I can't do it, but Jesus already did it for me, and so i got to stop leaning into self-righteousness and start leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing we should know about Romans is that Paul wrote it to the church in a city called Rome. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but like, this is why they pay me the big bucks, to teach you important biblical concepts like that. This is why it matters. In ancient Rome, before the message of the gospel ever arrived, There were all sorts of different religious sects and cults and schools of philosophy, and every single one of them said, this is who you should listen to. This is how you should live. This is how you should be. And so Rome was an incredibly difficult place to be a Jesus follower because of all these competing voices. And it's into that space that Paul wrote this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, three quick things we got to understand about this verse. Number one, what Paul's doing here is basically boiling down all those different competing voices out there in the world to one single voice. He says, I know they sound different and they sound like they have all these unique messages, but they don't. The song that they're singing is pretty much the same. No matter what the tune sounds like, it's the song of self. Self-glorification, self-gratification, self-determination, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. So Paul says all those voices are really aiming you in the same direction, and I'm calling that that one voice, the flesh. And the second thing we got to understand about this verse is that Paul is using this word flesh as a synonym for sin, He's not against flesh, necessarily. Like, flesh is good. God made flesh. We need it. If you didn't have flesh, you'd look pretty gross, for starters. This summer, my niece fell off her bike, and she, like, sliced her leg open to the point where you could see the muscle tissue. You don't want to see that. That's really icky, okay? So Paul's not on a crusade against skin here. What he's doing is, is using flesh as a metaphor for sin because ancient Greek and Roman philosophers used this word flesh, sarks, to describe a life that was cut off from the divine, like a really worldly self-centered life. And so his readers had immediate context for that word. And Paul's doing the exact same thing. He's saying the flesh describes people whose lives are defined by selfishness and sin rather than by the voice and the priorities of God, okay? And third thing we gotta understand, what Paul's doing here is actually giving us a really powerful and pragmatic life principle that the things we listen to shape the things we long for. Listening leads to longing. Every single time, listening leads to longing. Paul uses this phrase, those who live according to the flesh, to describe a group of people who have tuned their minds and their lives into the song that the world is singing, this message of the flesh. And he's saying that once that happens, these people tend to begin thinking like the world thinks. And longing for whatever the world tells them they ought to be longing for, and it shapes their futures very powerfully. Because our longings, our desires, the things our hearts want are possibly the best predictor in the world of where our lives are going to end up. And there's a multi-billion dollar industry out there that will pay $6.5 million for every 30 seconds of time during the Super Bowl next month banking on the idea that that's true. Advertisers know, if they can get you to listen to their message enough, you'll start longing for whatever it is they're trying to sell you. And I hate how well that works like in my life, even when the product should be completely irrelevant to me. I was watching college basketball a few weeks ago, and I kept seeing this message for a drug that treats atrial fibrillation, I'll be honest, I don't even know if before that day I'd ever heard of atrial fibrillation. But by the fourth time I saw that commercial, I was like, I think I have that. I, I swear, like fatigue, shortness of breath. That's me. I don't know what the consequences are going to be, but I'm glad this drug can treat it. Whatever. I don't know if it's a cream, a pill, but I just, I got to get some of that in my life. I told my wife, I was like, Jenny, I have atrial fibrillation. I have shortness of breath when I run. I'm tired all the time. And she was not sympathetic to my diagnosis. She thought that was due to a lack of cardiovascular exercise, a poor diet, and sleeping five hours a night, and uh, a disease that I had. But I had to tell her, you're not a doctor, watch this commercial. And the worst part was it was the same commercial. It wasn't even a different one. It was like they weren't even trying very hard. But the reason for that isn't that drug companies can't afford two commercials, It's that they know if you listen enough times to the same message, and that message is going to take root somewhere deep inside your soul. This is the way it works for us. You guys, the the voices that you listen to, the programs that you watch, the websites that you regularly read, the Facebook groups that you're a part of, the social media channels you subscribe to, all the content that you take in on a regular basis, it's not just informing you. It's forming you. And you may not even be fully conscious of it, but that's 100% true. You're not just getting information, you're getting formation. And As we listen to those voices, they shape the things that we long for and the desires of our hearts. And so it's worth asking ourselves the question this morning and probably on a regular basis, what voices am I listening to and what longings are they shaping in me? But there's kind of a catch in asking or answering that question, according to Paul in Romans 5.8, and the catch is this. We may think we're listening to a whole bunch of different voices, and we may think we're listening to a whole bunch of different songs, but we're not. It's just one voice. It's kind of like if if you're driving out in the middle of nowhere, and eventually only one radio channel comes in. And for those of you who are under 30 in the room, radios are these things we used to have in our cars and we would tune them in to a number that corresponded to a frequency. And we would have to just listen to whatever the radio station wanted to play. It was wild. Right? But eventually, like in the middle of nowhere, there's only one station that comes in, right? And Paul's saying, that's basically the way it is with our world. There may be different songs. There may be different DJs. It's the same station. It's the metronome of me, 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 me. And it's the only option out there except for this other one. There is like one other station you can tune into. He, he talks about those whose, whose minds are set on the flesh, desiring what the flesh desires, but people whose minds are set on the spirit, desiring what the spirit desires. And this is super cool because what he's reminding us is that after we put our faith in Jesus, God just doesn't forgive us and count us right. He actually comes to dwell inside of us. He gives us an incredible power source to live the lives he always dreamed we would live by placing his Holy Spirit within us. And we got to understand the Spirit isn't just visiting. People come and visit and then they leave, but the Spirit of God takes up permanent residence inside those of us who've given our lives to Jesus, and he stands at the ready to equip us to be all that God made us to be, to empower us, to live the lives we were dreamed up to live and make the difference we were placed right here, right now to make. And when we tune into God and we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then Paul tells us what happens is that our hearts and our longings start to become more and more aligned with the heart and the longing of God. And it becomes the voice of God that not only informs us, but forms us and redirects our future as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Because there's an inextricable link between our thoughts and our destiny. Our lives ultimately become a reflection of the thoughts that we are. Our thinking and the thoughts that we think and the longings and desires we have deep inside our souls are ultimately shaped by the voices we're listening to. And in the very next verse, Paul helps us see that the implications of that are huge, maybe bigger than any of us even imagined. He writes, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. This so is when we chase after all the things that our world sets out in front of us and tells us we ought to be chasing after, there is only death and nothingness to be found there. But when we align our hearts with God's and we run after the stuff God says we were made for, what we find on the other side of that is life and peace and beauty, which is this other life principle. Listening leads to longing. Desire determines Direction. The desires of our heart determine the direction our futures will take way more than the things we think we should be pursuing. Like, we're going to go after the stuff we want and not the stuff we think we ought to want. And the evidence of that is all around us. For instance, how many of us have ever gotten into a relationship that we knew was unhealthy and it wasn't going anywhere and it wasn't that good, but we just stayed for a long time because we wanted it? How many of us have ever purchased something that was a complete waste of money and it was too expensive, but we bought it anyway. Let's boil it all the way down. How many people in the room have ever done something dumb that we knew was dumb when we did it, but we did it anyway? Like My list is so long and extensive, there's an entire category called stuff I rode down hills. Wheelchair, wheelbarrow, shopping cart, canoe, like the list goes on and on and on. And, and we've all been in pretty much that same stupid space because there's this disconnect between the dreams we want to be chasing and the direction we're actually choosing. And that disconnect happens because we're listening to all these voices and those voices shape longings inside of us and we chase after our longings. And the thing of it is, like I don't care where it is you think you want to end up in life. I don't care where it is you say you want to end up in life. That doesn't matter very much. You will end up in life wherever the path you're on leads to. That makes a whole lot of sense when it comes to driving or hiking, but somehow it escapes us when it comes to living. So Paul warns us here, if you're listening to sin, no matter how great it sounds, the direction of that path is death. It's meaninglessness and emptiness and all the trappings of this world are ultimately like a siren's call. They sound beautiful right up until the moment they leave you shipwrecked. And verse 7 kind of continues this thought. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Which is kind of a crazy thought that when we're chasing after the world, we, we can't get right with God. It's just absolutely impossible for us. What Paul's saying here isn't that people who are in the realm of the flesh, people who haven't put their faith in Jesus, can never do a good deed Or never think a good thought. He's just saying all of the good is done in the context of rebellion. It's kind of like a a soldier in a rebel army who keeps his uniform really clean and neatly pressed and is always on time and follows orders. Those are really good things to do, but the fact that that soldier does them isn't ever going to set him right with the king he's trying to overthrow. They're good things done in the context of rebellion to the rightful ruler, which makes them not even that good of things. And what Paul's trying to tell us here is that we can't get right with God while we're living in open rebellion to Him. I don't know about you guys, but for me that's kind of heavy because I look at my life, and if I'm being raw and vulnerable and honest, there are a whole lot of moments where I'm living in rebellion, where I'm tuning my, my future into the frequency of the world, and I'm chasing after stuff that isn't the stuff the Holy Spirit is calling me to chase after, there are like so many more of those moments than I care to admit. And I read this and I'm like, am I out then? Is it impossible for me to be right with God because of that? And thankfully, if that's you, Paul has good news for you and me in the very next verse. He writes, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. You're not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So, maybe that's good. It feels like good news with an asterisk, right? Like, good news, you can be in the realm of the Spirit, but if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Like, is Paul saying here that I had better be feeling the power of God flowing through my life in every moment of every day or might be out? I might not even be a Christian. It's hard not to read that verse and wonder that, especially as we look out at other people who just seem to be nailing it at faith. Like they are just moving forward and I am barely running on empty and they're spiritual and they are nice to people and they quote Bible verses. They just drop them in conversation all the time and they might be making them up. That's how many more Bible verses than me they know. They're just like, I don't know, like Third Peter 17, 4. Like, is that? It probably is. She's better than me. And then we look at our own imperfect, messed up lives, and it seems like they are experiencing the power of the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit propelling them forward, and we are just out here stuck, going nowhere. Like, I don't know what happened to the wind. I'm sorry about the wind. Could you use a little wind here? Has anyone ever felt like that? If you have, we have a theological term for that feeling. Normal. It's called <laughs> Normal. It is a useless endeavor to judge your spiritual life, by what you don't actually know about somebody else's, and what Paul isn't doing here is telling us that you better be measuring it at every moment because you could be in and then out and then in and then out again if you're not good enough. He's actually doing the exact opposite thing. He's telling us if you have faith and the Holy Spirit is in you and there is nobody no Christian who gets a special power that everybody else doesn't have. This verse is meant to be pumping us up and encouraging us by promising us that if we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit is inside of us. Whether we feel that power on a daily basis or an hourly basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis or not, the Spirit has been placed inside of us. And the measure of that is not your fruit, it's your faith. The way you know whether the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you isn't your success at looking just like Jesus It's your decision to put your faith in Jesus. What Paul desperately wants all of us to understand is that if you've placed your faith in the idea that Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity into history and gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and rebellion, and then he rose again from the dead to unlock death from the inside so that you could live forever with the God who made you for himself. If you've put your faith in that, then the spirit of God dwells in you and nothing can ever take that away. And if you're here this morning, you're watching online this morning and you haven't put your faith in that, you can, it's free. All you gotta do is believe. Just tell God that you believe and the Spirit will come and dwell within you and empower you not only to live the life that you were created to live, but to make the difference you were created to make. The Spirit will come and dwell within you and give you permanent access to the momentum you need to be the person God made you to be. And not only that, but the Spirit will help you be more alive every minute that you're alive. God's promise to us is that His Holy Spirit literally, or literally breathes life into us. That's what Paul tells us in verse 10. It says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. You guys, this is so cool, I don't want us to miss it. If you've given your life to Jesus, the spirit of God is giving you life. And that doesn't mean your bodies still aren't gonna decay and die as you face the physical Consequences of your sin and rebellion, but it does mean that God is at work reversing death in us. Paul's like, Look, we're, we're falling apart, we're going to get old and we're going to die, but God is actually turning all of that around. He's in the business of reversing death. He's setting all things right. He's making all things new, and he's breathing this kind of life in us that helps us be more fully human and live more fully alive every single moment that we're alive with every single breath that we take. That's what God wants to do for us, and this is such a huge deal for Paul that he says it twice. Like, he's like, the Holy Spirit is in you. You got to get this. The Holy Spirit's in you and breathing life. And then right after that, he's like, the Holy Spirit is in you. You got to get this. The Holy Spirit is breathing life. And that doesn't always, like, stop us in our tracks, because we're used to words being on screens, where it's really easy to repeat words. But anytime we see repetition in the Bible, it ought to make us pause, because back in the day, paper wasn't easy to get a hold of. It was expensive and precious. It had to be hand-pounded from reeds, and you couldn't just run to Office Depot and pick up a ream anytime you needed it, all right? So space was paramount. In the original manuscripts of the New Testament, all these writers who wrote it, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and James, they not only didn't use paragraphs or punctuation, they didn't even put spaces between the words, that's how little these guys could afford to waste one bit of space on the paper. And if that looks like it would be difficult to read, it's because it kind of is. Okay, so the fact that Paul wrote down the Spirit's inside of you giving you life, and he's like, you know what, i got to write that again, means that Paul is desperate for you and me to know that we know that we know that the Spirit of God is inside of us and he's giving us Life. That one day we might die, but one day we will be raised again to life in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is breathing life into dead people. And it's so cool. And and like our resurrection bodies will be a little bit different than these ones. And it's a whole different sermon series for a whole different time. But the older I get, the more I realize that's good news that we're going to get resurrection bodies someday. I'm not even 40 yet, and my knee sounds like Rice Krispies when I walk downstairs. It's just <laughs> snap, crackle, pop. I'm like, what is that happening? But God promises that, that bodies are coming, to reality is coming, over where there's, there's perfection, and there's the absence of, of sickness and death and pain, and it's beautiful. And in heaven, I might even get hair, you guys. I don't know. I don't know if that's how heaven works, but I'm just, I'm hanging on to hope. A few of us in this room are. But here's what's amazing to me. Almost 600 years before Paul wrote down these words, this prophet named Ezekiel had a vision of what the world was going to be like when God placed his Holy Spirit that breathes life into dead people. In chapter 37 of Ezekiel, God takes him out and gives him this vision of a valley that's full of bones. and These old, dead, dry, bleached out bones of an army that had been slayed in that valley. And God looks at Ezekiel, and he's like, hey, man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel knows the answer is no, but he's been around God long enough to know there's a catch. So he's like, only you know. So this is way of saying, I don't think so, but I'm not about to tell you you can't do it. And God looks at Ezekiel, and he says, hey, man, prophesy to these bones. Tell them God's going to breathe life back into you. And so Ezekiel says he begins prophesying. And as he's prophesying, as he's speaking to the bones, saying God wants to breathe life into you, he hears this rattling, and these bones start coming together, and he watches as they grow They grow sinew and tissue and muscle and eventually skin and it just looks like people with no life in them and then God breathes life into the nostrils of these people and all of a sudden there's a living army filling up this valley again and Ezekiel's like this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to be like when God puts his spirit into people. Dead things are going to be alive again. I actually got some chicken bones with me this morning. With some remnants of a little bit of delicious fried chicken. Can you guys see my chicken bones? Okay, I want you to zoom in on these and like just focus really close because you're going to want to see what's about to happen here, all right? Just give me a second. I had to try. All right, I don't know what was equal, I guess. But, like, how cool would it be if that actually happened? How crazy would it be if these things started like rattling together and then they like ugh, and then they grew back their their bones and then the, the meat grew back on them and then some feathers and all of a sudden a chicken's eyes popped open and, cluck, and just room took off, running off the stage. You'd be like, best Sunday ever. Oh my goodness. Nobody will believe what I saw today. Mike had a five-piece meal and it turned back into a chicken. None of us in this room, no one watching online right now would ever be the same again. You're like, I hope he eats ribs next Saturday. We'll see. But But you guys, this is what people are supposed to see when they look at us. When they see us, they're supposed to be like, how is that even possible? These dead people are coming alive again. And I know, man, that's such a cool vision, but it's still so easy to get caught up living like we're dead. It is for me anyway, to just still walk around like dead, dry, old bones. Dead, dry, old bones of of, of hatred and bitterness and selfishness and anger and greed. and It's like it's so easy to live with all of that stuff. But Paul's telling us in Romans 8 that God wants to breathe new life into bones that have been bleached, dry, by listening to the promise of sin that said it would deliver pleasure and only ever brought pain. Paul's telling us God wants to breathe new life into bones that have been bleached dry by effort and trying to be good enough and striving to get there on our own and never ever succeeding. Paul wants to, Paul's telling us God wants to breathe new life into dry bones by blowing like a fresh wind that pushes us forward. And the more we tune into the voice of the Spirit of God, the more life we experience. That's His promised us. This is promised us. So how do, we, how do we actually do it? How do we tune in to that voice and tune out the frequency of this voice that Paul calls flesh? Well, if listening leads to longing and desire determines direction, then we create space for it. We listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. Like that, that's, that's how we live, like dry bones that have come alive again. But the question is, how, how, do we, how do we do that pragmatically? What does it look like to begin listening to and for that voice? And step one is to figure out what the Holy Spirit sounds like. Jenny and I have been married for 15 and a half years. We've been together over 20 years. And in the last 20 years, I've learned what her voice sounds like to the point where if I was in a crowded room full of a whole bunch of people talking I could pick out that one voice it's not because she's loud and she is loud but that's not it that's not the reason it's not because she has like a weird annoying voice it'd be hard to be married to someone if you thought that about them like it's just nails on a chalkboard but every day she talks oh it's not that it's not that at all I could pick out her voice because I've spent a whole lot of time with her alone where there were no other voices in the room except hers. And in those moments, I learned not just what she sounds like, but what she's passionate about and the kind of things that she talks about and the way that she speaks and the rhythm of her voice. And because I know what she sounds like, it doesn't matter how many other voices are out there competing for attention and distracting me, I could pick out that one voice. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to learn what the Holy Spirit sounds like. If we're going to learn what the Spirit of God is passionate about and the kind of things that the Spirit of God tells us and the kind of leadings that the Spirit of God has for our lives, then we got to spend time listening to that voice away from the spaces where it's crazy and distracting and there's a whole, other, a whole lot of other noise competing for our attention. And how do we do that? How, how do we make that happen? i got four really simple, pragmatic tips and tricks for you, and this is nothing groundbreaking and nothing new. Pray. Talk to God about whatever's on your heart and listen for God to speak back to you. Number two, read the Bible. It's literally God's word breathed out in self revelation to you. Number three, fast. If you empty yourself of the things of this world, specifically food, because it's hard to deny that you're empty when food is gone. You create space for the voice of God to fill you up. And number four, do it in community. Get with some other people who are listening to God so you can talk about what God sounds like together. Listen, I know, I know, especially for those of us who've grown up in and around church, who've been going to church all our lives, I just gave you the churchy answers. You're like, oh my goodness, everything I already know. The pastor told me to pray and read the Bible and... And do groups. Like, I've heard it a million times, and we almost wanna eye roll that stuff. Like, okay, that's the application point of 75% of the sermons I've ever listened to. But can I be real and raw with you for a minute? I think if we eye roll that stuff, it's because we don't actually do it. I think to the degree that you and I roll your eyes at that, it's probably the same degree that you're not really finding the, the unforced rhythms of grace in your life and, and tuning into the Spirit of God in those places cuz people who are really tuned into those rhythms don't eye roll any of that stuff. It's transformational stuff. It's been working for 2000 years. That's why it's the application point for so many of the sermons you've ever heard. Like when we listen to the voice of God, God does something powerful inside of us. But it's hard to do. I know. It's it's hard to get into a rhythm of that stuff. It's hard to like make space for that in the middle of all the busyness and all the craziness and all the distraction that exists out there in the world. But the fact that it's difficult is a bad excuse not to make it a priority, right? One of my favorite authors of the 20th century was this British guy named G.K. Chesterton, he once wrote this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. And I think that's so true when it comes to some of these disciplines, like when we engage them. when we tune into the voice of God and out of the voice of the flesh, it changes everything about the way we're living. But how do we actually do it? Like I, I realize that's still kind of ethereal. And so I want to give a really pragmatic step for everyone in the room this morning. What I want to do alongside thousands of other churches in our network over the course of the next few months is something called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. There are a whole bunch of churches that are kicking off their year with this. And I want to invite us to do the exact same thing thing to take the next 21 days and pray together and fast together and read the Bible together and just see what God might do. And you don't have to do this. If you do it, it doesn't make you a super Christian. If you don't do it, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. You don't have to do it to be a part of our vision. But like, I think if we're really going to stop rowing hard and start raising sails, if we're really going to believe that it's not about our effort in the year ahead, but it's about what God wants to do in and through us and us surrendering so that he can propel us forward to the lives he has for us, then this is an amazing way to begin tuning in to the voice of the Holy Spirit and seeing what God has for us. And so I want to invite you to do it wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. If you're walking with the Lord deeply, if you're just starting out, if you crossed the line of faith recently, or, or today when I told you that it was free, like, or, or if you're a skeptic, especially if you're a skeptic, if right now you're, you're wondering what you think about any of this, I dare you to try it with me for the next three weeks. I dare you to just see what God might do. This is where I'm going, and I want to invite all of you. Will you come with me on this journey? 21 days of, of prayer and fasting, and here's specifically how it works we have a guide for you. If you want a copy of that guide on your phone, you can pull your phone out right now and scan the QR code that's behind me. That QR code is a guide that has a daily scripture reading and some daily, spirit or some daily prayer prompts for the next 21 days. It actually walks through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and has some prayer prompts. And I want to invite you to just do that. There's also a page on our website that has a link to that guide and has a link to a page with some thoughts about why in the world anyone would ever fast. Like I don't know if you've ever done it before. You might be thinking, why would people not eat? We don't have to not eat. We live in America. And if you wonder why people would intentionally empty themselves to be filled up with a little bit more of God, I put together some thoughts on on why and some tips for how. And maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you joined us last Easter. Some of us did this for the first time ever at Easter, and it was powerful. And so I want to invite you to do it once again. And and here's here's what we're doing in terms of that. Like we're going to pray for 21 days. We're going to go through this guide for 21 days. And then fasting, I'm going to fast on Fridays for the next three weeks because it's alliterative and that's how I picked the day. Fasting Fridays sounded like a cooler hashtag and that's the only reason. So you can pick a different day. You don't have to do it. If you've never fasted before, you could try like one meal this Friday, two meals the next Friday, three meals or like a whole day the week after that. Just it doesn't matter how, and if you can't do food, do something different. Like, don't let anyone tell you there's some rule, and that counts as fasting, and that doesn't. Don't listen to that. That's not true. But like, whatever it looks like, will you come on this journey with us for the next 21 days and just see what God does? See how God might speak to you. See what God does inside your soul. See how the Spirit of God breathes life. And to you, I I, want to invite you to come with me on it. And then every Friday for the next three weeks, if you can make it, we're going to pray at the Revision office for 30 minutes at noon, lunch hour. It might not work with your schedule, but if you want to come pray with us, I'm going to be there. We're going to pray and worship for 30 minutes together because I just think God wants to do the kind of things that only he can do in and through this community we call Revision. And so I believe that he wants to do that for us as a body, but I really believe he wants to do that for you personally. And so whether you do the 21 days of, of prayer and fasting or not, whether you do part of it or not part of it, no guilt, no shame in any of this, like, but whether you do that or not, please listen to me. Whether you're here or online, please listen to me. I really, really believe that we live in a world with one voice, one radio frequency, that leads us to emptiness and death, as great and tempting as it sounds. And that if we don't intentionally stop listening to that frequency, we will never seize the lives God created us for. But if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us and propels us forward with momentum. And if we will just come before God and say, God, I wanna to listen to you, I wanna hear you, I wanna live the life you created me for, he will meet us in that space and he will breathe life into us that helps us move from where we are to the place he has for us. We pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for breathing life into us. Thank you that not by our own efforts, but by your grace and your greatness, we're able to, to grab hold of the momentum we need to live the lives you created us to live. Lord, I know it's, it's hard and it's distracting to live in this messed up, broken world, but I pray. That you help all of us amidst all the distraction, amidst that frequency that constantly competes for our attention, amidst all the messages that ask us to long for and desire things that would lead us only to death, that your voice would thunder deeply in our souls, that we create space to, to hear your voice and be shaped by your voice, that our hearts and our longings would align with yours in a way that allows us to be more fully alive And allows us not just to be more fully alive for our own sakes, but allows us to walk out into a world that is hurting and dark and desperate for your love and point that world toward you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.